0: Hello, and welcome to the World We Live In podcast. I'm your host, Eric Patterson. Alongside me is Kyle Malden. Join us as we explore the amazing, mysterious aspects of our planet's cultures, history, and future trends. this weekend
1: especially this week i was looking forward to um at least in nashville it's been like like 40s 50s yeah into the 60s some days it's very warm it's been very pleasant and then this weekend for some reason it was like 20 degrees Just it's, little... it's it's it snowed
0: it did slightly um, it's yeah, snowed yeah, we got it, dusting.
1: it didn't stick but no. there was one morning where i walked out you know the front door and the i mean our front lawn was covered yeah so yeah i um i should say snowed for nashville it's not like it we're in true you know illinois where mike has sent me pictures and it's you know nine inches overnight
0: yeah might be a good time to shout out mike (laughs)
1: Shout out! Uh, shout out to Mike.
0: Yeah, Mike, we appreciate it. Um,
1: thank you for the pizzas.
0: Thank you for the pizzas. Um, and we're looking forward uh, for your next trip down here so that we can uh, eat some Nashville hot chicken. If there's any any person I've ever met that's more enthusiastic about uh, hot chicken than Mike, I uh, I'm like gonna take a picture with them because you love hot chicken, Mike, but we love it. Um, <laughs> and we're, we always, it's always good to have you, um, so yeah, shout out, and, uh, hopefully, hopefully he's enjoying the podcast, hopefully, yeah, he's yeah. yeah. enjoying the podcast, yeah, um, but, uh, I was gonna, oh, about the cold, I have made a habit of, like, going outside and getting some fresh air in the mornings, like, when I wake up, I've noticed, yeah, and, um, we have a little outdoor fireplace that we don't use a lot, but, if you, you, honestly, with the one outside, I have to get, like, really close to it to, like, feel the warmth. But, um, and so, yeah, I've been sitting out there, but I had, to, like, put a hat on, put a scarf on, put on my, uh, my, uh, Columbia jacket and, uh, obviously pants. <laughs> and we, uh, i just been hanging
1: out there in the mornings. It's nice. So, going off that, as, uh, Eric said, mm-hmm. I've, uh... I've changed my my workout routine Mm. to work out at at 5.30 in the morning. Morning guy. And I really do understand why successful people wake up at like 4 a.m.
0: Yeah. I really
1: do. There's something about going to bed early and waking up early that I feel really good up until like probably like 6 o'clock and then I start getting like pretty sleepy.
0: It it is true. As long as you get a good night's sleep, you'll be able to last. Major
1: key. M- huge. huge. I mean,
0: that's it's the biggest part of that routine. is what, good night's sleep.
1: When I slept four hours and like thirty minutes. No. The other day. It's not gonna do it. It didn't cut it. I was tired. Yeah. A lot all yeah. day, <laughs> oh, basically.
0: Yeah. Dude, no, it's it's uh it's it's amazing how a good night's sleep just prepares you for a great day. It's
1: a. Last night, got eight hours. Didn't yeah. even have any coffee today.
0: Props to you. I know. That's that's awesome. I've, uh, yeah, I've, along the same lines, I've been, I haven't been working out in the mornings lately, which I'd like to get back to, but my schedule right now is just, and I've been, I've had this head cold, so I apologize if my voice is, like, stuffy.
1: Apology accepted. <laughs>
0: Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've had this head cold, and I've just been out of my routine, but I'm still working out, just not in the mornings. Um, but I've been, uh, I've been, like, I've been trying to stay on a steady diet, and I've been eating foods as to where I don't um, feel like a spike in my blood sugar. Okay. And it's, like, kept me on a very even, like... Cause you know how sometimes you have oh, like, oh yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've experienced it where you have like a heavy lunch, and then at two you're just like a zombie.
1: You go out, right. You go out for lunch. You have a burger, and then you feel like you just ate a, a yeah. pound of dirt.
0: You're just like ready to cash, and uh,
1: but anyway, it works.
0: What uh <laughs> It's not voodoo. It works.
1: What uh? What foods have you been staying away from? Just like. Um, and what foods have you been adding? Mm, thank Good. you. Good question.
0: Um, I have been adding like sweet potatoes instead of like, um, rice.
1: Okay. Sweet potatoes are great.
0: Yes. I've been using cauliflower rice.
1: I'm going to say we might be the first pro sweet potato podcast out there. It's possible. I haven't listened to any dietary (laughs) podcast, but I, if Eric, if you're okay with it, I want to be pro sweet potato.
0: Hey, I'm okay with that. We'll put it in our bio. Pro (laughs)
1: sweet potato podcast.
0: Yeah, sweet potatoes, cauliflower rice instead of like regular rice. Um, I still have like piece of bread in the mornings usually. Um,
1: Just like less yeah, processed stuff.
0: It, less processed. I mean, yeah. nothing, nothing extreme. Um, so, but it's been good. It's been good. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Is that all you got on that topic? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Sweet. I like. I like, oh, just sweet potatoes real quick. I think they have better flavor than regular potatoes. They totally do. And just potatoes in general. You can, I'm going to feel like Forrest Gump here, but mm. you can do like mashed potatoes, baked potatoes, like sweet potato fries. Yeah. Like there's just, it's just such a versatile fruit. Like you said, you can like kind of substitute it for rice. Yeah. Not, I mean like you can shred it. There's just like a million things you can do with yeah. it. potatoes.
0: I went to this place. Um, there's my potato plug. <laughs> nice. <no>, potato plug. <laughs> That's how I feel well about two potatoes. Well done. yeah. Um, there's a... I don't think it's... It's not that new. It's a few months. Uh, True Food Kitchen. Okay. In Green Hills. Yeah. There's a couple in California. It might be more than a couple. There might be a few. But there's, they're scattered around the U.S., I th- I, it was start. I believe it. The first one was in California. I'm sure I it could was. Could be wrong, but I'm probably sh- right. I'm sure it was. Just uh, out of um, let me pull process a name of out of California. <laughs> <laughs> process <laughs> of elimination. We'll go with California. Um, but I had this bowl. It was dude. It was so good, and it had sweeptails in it. They were like lightly glazed. It was really good. Sweeptails, avocado, quinoa, chicken. It had some like a uh, some like salsa spice. It was really good. Um but we'll have to go there sometime. It's super, dude, it's so good. I'll and do it's it sounds healthy. I'll do it. Awesome. Uh, well let's get into uh, <laughs> let's get into the world we live in. Um, I literally just came across this article. Um, sorry, I had to get my computer. Uh, I just came across this article and it's from our good friends at Futurism. <laughs> and uh, it's it, this is talking about how... Apparently, um, Donald Trump, back in twenty seventeen, offered NASA an unlimited budget. So this comes out of a. Uh, I guess this is he's going to release this copy of a book called a called Team of Vipers, an upcoming Insiders edition sorry, insider's account of the Trump administration by former White House aide Cliff Sims. So in this expose, (laughs) or whatever, um, Cliff uh, talks about how um, in, on, I should say, on April 24th, 2017, um, moments prior to a call to the International Space Station arranged so that the president could congratulate Peggy Whitson for breaking the existing record for American, who for an American who spent the longest period in space, which I didn't even know, I didn't even hear anything about that.
1: I, I didn't either. But
0: that's pretty sick. Um. So, as Trump apparently as Trump was being briefed by Sims and other officials, including NASA Administrator um, Robert Lightfoot Jr., um, according to the account, uh, <laughs> the president's attention began to wander. And he suddenly asked um, Lightfoot, "What our plan? F- What's our plan for Mars?" And um, Lightfoot reportedly tried to let down Trump easily, explaining the extraordinary amount of preparation that a mission to Mars would uh, require, as one can only imagine. And um, yeah, Trump was just like. So when, when do you think we'll be able to do this? And he's like, 20, the 2030s probably. And Trump's
1: like, well, I'll give you... Trump, Trump he said 2030, and, yeah. and Trump responded with, what if you have an unlimited budget? <laughs> he's, basically, he's basically like, how much money do you need? What if, right, what if, what if money is not an issue?
0: I will say, from Trump's point of view, there is not like, there is not anything that is bigger than being the president that lands on Mars. Probably
1: nothing he could do.
0: No. Well, and you know it's going to be quoted that way. It's going to be the president that landed us on Mars.
1: It's not going to be... Well, especially since he's looked so... I should say, with some people, um, unfavorably about the stuff that he's done on Earth, Yeah. he will at least have done something uh, In space. Extraterrestrial, <laughs> if you, <laughs> extraterrestrial, if you will. That's well put, Kyle. That's well put. Um, quick, quick data from the research department. Yes. Uh, Peggy Whitson, in 2017, spent 289 days in orbit. Wow. Consecutively, and overall has spent over 665 days in outer space throughout her career. Damn. Damn. I wonder, I can imagine this is
0: true, but... I wonder if your perspective of just everything mm-hmm. is changed by spending that much time in space.
1: I I imagine it is. I, I mean, I don't know how it isn't. You'd, you'd have to think so.
0: You really would. You really would. Man. Um, that's crazy, though. Congrats. Congratulations. That's awesome. Uh, Peggy Whitson. Peggy Whitson. Okay. That's really all that article <laughs> was talking
1: about. I just thought it was funny that I'll I'll be interested to see. Uh, obviously, we'd we'd never know, but but how accurate that uh, you know these stories are. Yeah. And other stories like, like it. Uh huh. Just where our uh, our president's just trying to create a legacy.
0: Yeah. Yes. Completely. He completely is. I. I also just. Just a little quick side note. I think it's crazy how these people can just work for the president and then just release all this information about him. Like, how is that legal?
1: I thought about that as well. I think that is an issue of... I mean, it would have to be freedom of speech.
0: I mean, yeah. As, as
1: long as long as nothing... It, inform, no, you know, no information... Classified yeah, information. Yeah, classified information. Um is Shared. I don't see how yeah. it's but, I mean, right. Wrong, you know what I mean. Right? Like, illegal, like yeah. it. It could be. I don't see how it could be illegal. Mm-hmm. Is is the right word? I mean, it could be. It could be unfavorable. It can be embarrassing. True, true. But none of that is illegal if it's true. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. It's. It's. It I just seems. It just seems weird. It just. It does seem a little weird. It. it really does. Well, I mean. I mean. Obviously, everyone's different, and I'm 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 not really I, I am judging, but I'm not really <laughs> judging here. I, these it seems like these guys they get in the position, then they get let go or they leave, and then they just make make
1: a good amount of oh money. I'm gonna guess I'm, from these book deals. I was gonna say I'm sure if they're not approached, they reach out. Yeah. To, I mean a- Amazon. We Ryan, my brothers. Your brothers self published yeah. through Amazon. Yeah. Uh, Retrouvé. Yep. On Amazon, it is a uh,
0: old world tale <laughs> of a. It's a love story. A love story. It's a love story Lo- of uh, the Caribbean. That's right. Yeah. Ryan Malden, <laughs> published author. <laughs> but <laughs> I imagine. By your point. Yeah. yeah.
1: These point. These guys. If I mean, of course, they don't have to self publish. I'm sure they are approached. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, dude, so many people are gonna buy that book. Yeah. You yeah, know you know what yeah. I mean like it's true. Even it, it's to a point where his, where Trump's like celebrity is so big yeah. that anyone connected to him is has an opportunity to make money because of like what they know. Yeah. And they know that it'll get like eyeballs and views and reads and listens. And it will. And it will. Yeah. Interesting.
0: Um, well cool. Let's talk about this, uh, I guess, a little scientific expedition uh, in Antarctica. So, this happened, let's see, on December 26th. They had discovered a lake in 2007 um, when they were examining satellite imagery of uh, Antarctica's ice sheet. And on December 26th, these scientists, um, were down there. 11 years later. I know. Crazy. Um, so this is a 50-foot subglacial lake. Um, researchers from a project called SALSA.
1: Mm.
0: (laughs) Good, good acronym. It stands for Subglacial Antarctic Lakes Scientific Access. So they had to bore a tiny hole, um... Nearly one kilometer into the ice to get to this lake.
1: Wow, they said the, the drill size, the drill that they used was pencil sized. The nozzle. Yeah. Number two, Ticonderoga, baby. <laughs> Only the best out there. <laughs> Only
0: the best. Um, so this team anticipated that they would find microbial life forms, um, which they did, but they also found. Um, carcasses of tiny crustaceans that were apparently were no smaller than a poppy seed which i mean dude is like
1: pretty small pretty small i mean if you get a poppy seed bagel there are like a hundred of those guys
0: oh for sure and they get all over you yeah i was (laughs) was
1: gonna say anyone that's eaten a poppy seed bagel knows you find like at least 50 of them in your lap after you're done eating
0: yeah they also found the body of a Tardigrade, which is an eight-legged invertebrate known for its ability to withstand extremely harsh conditions, which I think we've touched... I think we may have mentioned that guy before, uh-huh. but it's a really, really wild um, invertebrate. So, they ended up extracting a five-and-a-half-foot-long core, the longest ever from a subglacial lake, and... As well, they had a six out of six perfect sediment core extraction, which from the article seemed like was a pretty high success rate.
1: Yeah, so the the article touched on how Antarctica is obviously the least touched continent, yeah. and so it, in return, is the best preserved, and I'm sure we'll get to talking to her, but uh, Um, her name is Virginia Ross taught from Dartmouth College talked about how important um, keeping the area clean and like sanitary and using scientific procedures how all of that is important and how pretty much they, everything they do is down to uh, they do because of science yep. and they're not just out there like drilling holes like oh maybe it's over here like like you said six out of six it is... That's the way it needs to be. Calculated. Everything is calculated. Yeah. I thought that was interesting.
0: Very, very... They also filled 10 liter bottles with lake water and captured the first ever, ever footage of the lake. And... Uh, then they transported it back to the uh, for the lab for analysis.
1: Uh, yeah, for those of you who don't know, there are... <laughs> Lakes and rivers underneath the sheets of ice in uh-huh. Antarctica. Yeah. I didn't know that probably until later in life. Oh, yeah, totally.
0: Well, I mean, it said they took that scan in 2007.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not super intuitive that there'd be lakes and rivers No, underneath. I
0: mean, yeah, I mean, clearly there's, like, there is a landmass mm-hmm. at the pole. Right. But it's covered in ice, so... It would only make sense that there's stuff underneath. Oh, absolutely. I was actually just watching a, a Vice, Vice News video about... Um, this was up north by Greenland, but they now have evidence that supports... Um, the glaciers are being heated from underneath. Oh. So, yeah, apparently these currents, these warm currents, are mm-hmm. moving... Up by the up from, ice sheets. Yeah. And uh, it's like the warm, salty water is like melting ice from underneath.
1: So it's interesting you say that. It's a great transition. Mm-hmm. Um, it says in the article that these lakes and rivers have been used to track uh, global warming and how this past year, so 2018. Correct. Was the warmest... Water like the world has ever... Uh, that You know, since we've been recording. Yeah, 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 um So if the water's becoming warmer from underneath, that would make sense. It would, totally. The water's getting warmer. <laughs> the water's warm. Heating up. Hop on in. Hop on in. Come on
0: in, the water's warm. <laughs> um, yeah, and the article says, uh, streams or rivers connect hundreds of bodies of water underneath ice... And this network has changed over the course of Antarctica's history. Understanding how the continent's ice responds to changes in Earth's climate helps scientists understand more about its history. I think that's cool how they can... They're almost like... I mean, they're almost like looking back in time.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, since it's been so well-preserved, that's the only... you yeah.
0: It is the ice preserves.
1: They basically have a snapshot of of the past. Right, what yeah. life was like probably thousands if not millions of years ago.
0: Yeah. I think it's it was one of the first expeditions to Antarctica. There there was a uh, there was like a wooden hut that they had built down there. And the because it was so cold uh-huh. and I I can't remember the year, but it was back when they were first sending expeditions down there. They had built the hut and it was so well preserved because it was so cold. It was like a snapshot back to when they had originally built it.
1: Uh-huh. Oh, when they found it. Yeah, when they when like other people found oh, right. it. Oh, um, I'm sure it's the exact same.
0: It was basically the same thing. The wood was all intact because it was it was so cold. Yeah, You're right. Nothing like rotted or anything like that. So that's a uh, that's another aspect
1: that. I wonder. how people think about. I really wonder how much of Antarctica has been. Explored, and I'll be super curious to see if we like ever find anything. Anything like.
0: Evidence uh, there's, from, yeah. Like a lost
1: civilization or. Right, like lost civilization. Like, what What if there, we find like a human skeleton? From like. <laughs> you know what? It's like something. Yeah. Anything. No, 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 no. It'd be well preserved. It would totally shift our view on totally. whatever field that we discovered it in. Uh huh. I'd, I'd be here for it. I'm, I'd be excited. Oh, I would too. Um, oh, excuse me. Popular guy.
0: <sighs> it's a little bit. Um, the article ends talking about how... Drilling in... in, in wow, I cannot pronounce words. <laughs> words are tough. Words are tough. It's, it's usually you that's having a tough time. Well, you know. <laughs> drilling in Antarctica can, um, help us understand what it would be like and what it would take to drill into the liquid oceans on Jupiter's moon Europa. Um, Max Skidmore, a professor of earth sciences at Montana State, expresses, um, the idea that, um, we're learning about the types of technologies and processes and how you'd go about doing it, which is drilling, um, on a foreign planet and learning about what you'd find in those types of environments
1: so I feel like that's where you find all the good stuff underneath the surface always always
0: but I liked how they uh, transferred it oh to space,
1: space. uh huh yeah. absolutely um,
0: but anyway very cool stuff from there that article is from sciencealert.com
1: and uh, from January was, 20th yeah it was also published in uh, Business Insider there you
0: go. Oh yeah, it was okay. Nice. Um, let's <laughs> hermit crab. Hermit crabs are great. Hermit crab. Um. I, I actually saw this saw this article on Joe Rogan's Twitter, so I figured I uh figured I l- read the article. Joe Rogan, good a good Twitter follow. Good content, yeah, very good content from Joe. Um, so this is talking about hermit crabs and um, a new paper in the journal of Royal Society Interface poses an intriguing new hypothesis some species of male hermit crabs evolve substantially longer penises so they can mate without having to venture too far outside their shells very unique hypothesis
1: very unique hypothesis
0: an eye catcher for sure
1: Definitely an eye catcher, but it also makes sense. So, it does what I thought was like re- was really interesting was that obviously shells are a limited resource. Yes. So, if you happen to lose your shell or grow out of your shell, like whatever issue you have uh-huh. and you need to go find a new shell, like that's when you die. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta move, oh, right? Yeah. Like, you have to move. And with shells being such a limited resource, mm-hmm. this, uh adaptation, would make life a lot easier. It would. Safer.
0: Safer. Because you you wouldn't have to go as far from your shell to impregnate a female crab. Or however that works. I'm sure it's a tad different. (laughs) But this is from, um, this research um, was from a biologist at Dartmouth College by the name of Mark. Lydra?
1: Lydra? I like li- Lydra. Lydra. L-A-I-D-R-E. Well, the, right. The, D- the D-R-E is how you... That's, it's a tough one. Yeah.
0: Um, and he dubbed this hypothesis, which I really enjoy, Private Parts for Private Property. And this man has been studying um, the behavior of a particular species of hermit crabs for the last decade. That is... I don't think I don't think we think about that. We think of like a biologist, a very general term. But like, this guy has been studying one species of hermit crab for ten years.
1: Nearly. I mean, t- to get his to get his doctorate, I imagine he's in his thirties. Uh, yeah, probably. I'm gonna imagine. Let, let's say he's in his forties and yeah. he's just done hermit crabs. Hey. I'm sure he's. I'm sure he's obviously an expert. Oh, totally. Well, and
0: especially these days and times, you have to uh, find your niche, especially in academia, I feel like.
1: Especially yeah. in academia. Yeah.
0: And he's found his. He, he definitely has. Um, so he actually drew inspiration, um, according to the Ars Technica article, from none other than Charles Darwin, who marveled at the size of barnacles. Which boasts the largest penises in the animal kingdom relative to their body size. Um, he wrote in a monograph when fully extended, it must equal between eight and nine times the entire length of the animal, he wrote. Darwin reasoned that the barnacles evolved this attribute so that they would be better able to inseminate more distant neighboring barnacles. <laughs>
1: do what you gotta do I was gonna say there you go yep the uh only the strong survive this is true OTSS
0: yeah gotcha That works we, we said that in high school oh <laughs> yeah um so the, this this always this all always interests me how they collect all this data
1: Go ahead. I was say, I think it's really interesting to learn about how other creatures and like animals have adapted over time. Especially sea creatures, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely sea creatures.
0: So, to collect the evidence, he compared hundreds of specimens of nine related hermit crab species preserved in ethanol at the Smithsonian Institute and at the Harvard Museum of Comparative Zoology he measured their sexual tubes with electronic calipers then calculated the ratio of their body size to penis size for every specimen. And he says these tubes are hardened protrusions that function as a penis in males since they contain ducts for ejaculating sperm. Mm -hmm. Dope. And he found that this certain type of um, hermit crab called... Conobida, compressus, compressus. I think had the largest penis to body size ratio at more than 0.
1: 0.6. I mean, I I imagine if your whole, if your whole world, if your whole life depended on staying inside your shell, <laughs> you you figure it out. You figure it out, yeah.
0: You think this guy, like, dreams of hermit crabs? Yes. I mean, I, f- I feel like...
1: After three episodes of Game of Thrones, I dream of Game of Thrones. Yeah.
0: Clearly, <laughs> clearly this guy dreams of hermit crabs. <laughs> this guy
1: absolutely dreams of hermit crabs. Always hermit crabs. I I bet it. this is maybe not as much as an adaptation. I think maybe that is an adaptation. But the I bet the hermit crabs with the longer penises were more inclined to live longer. Exactly. Do you see what I'm saying? Exactly. So it just became like a um. Th- th- that sure was the only thing, that, right? Yeah. Like, like in yeah. the, in the gene pool.
0: Yeah. The well, the ones that are shorter ps just died off. It, exactly. They didn't impregnate anyone, uh-huh. so it didn't matter. Yeah, I mean, from my brief understanding of genetics, that's kind of how it how it works. You know, like only the strong survive. So only the strong are only the strong and large penis
1: end up being around end
0: up being around and so that's what we're left with <laughs>
1: and here we are today and here
0: we are today talking about it um yeah that's, I mean that's pretty much that's pretty much it um I think it says coconut crabs have the tiniest penises which is tough until only 20% of their body size only, 20%. Oh, <laughs> only twenty percent. Oh man, only twenty.
1: Yeah. So if
0: you're if if you're uh, around the dinner table, and it's awkward, make it even more awkward. Yeah. By talking about crab penises.
1: Nice little uh, bar fact.
0: Little bar fact. Very <laughs> true. Somehow incorporate <laughs> into uh, that into a pickup line, and uh, hey, never know what could happen. Um, cool <laughs> <laughs> I know we have I think we have one more oh yes
1: this uh, this is in my, my favorite article I've read in a, in a, a little bit yeah I'll, this one baffles me I'll tell you why yeah you got it um, so the, a man was mauled at the uh, t- he was mauled to death by lions inside the, the Punjab Zoo in India Somehow, a so he he's, he's hasn't been identified um, to the media. However, he's around twenty five years old, and it said that uh, there are four lions in the enclosure. Right in yeah. the enclosure, zoo officials say that there's a twelve foot high wall into the zoo enclosure with a barbed wire fence on top of the wall. So some, somehow this guy got in there, um, on Sunday, the zoo has been closed since then. And this is why it's my favorite article. The article ends by plugging the zoo. <laughs> um, it says, uh, the 12 foot wall, there's a bug uh-huh. wire. It says the lion safari has been closed for the, uh, since the time following Sunday's incident. Uh, the zoo is a popular place in the region and attracts hundreds of visitors, especially on the weekend. Uh, the zoo is spread over five hundred and five acres and is home to over a thousand animals and a hundred species. Wow. It ends and you're like, oh, maybe Okay. Maybe I should go to the zoo. I like, yeah, oh, that yeah. sounds like a good time. Um so what happened was he they don't know how he got in, but when he was in there, there were so it's a spar, so you yeah. drive around. And people were watching as this dude was just getting uh, attacked by these tigers. That's crazy. Like. I want to
0: know how he got in. I want to know. I mean, I want to know how he got in. I imagine he,
1: I mean, Doug, it's not like he jumped over the 12-foot fence with the barbed wire. (sighs)
0: Maybe, dude. Or, I wonder if. Yeah, I mean, I guess he could have. But you would have had to bring something to like cut through the fence. And I doubt the fence is like easily cuttable.
1: Yeah, I guess it depends what kind of fence it is.
0: I mean, I guess you could climb over it, but you're going to get like cut by the barbed wire. Maybe you just loved lions that much. They didn't love him back.
1: Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I did not read any other articles just because, I mean... Uh, it says the the attack only lasted for around 10 minutes um, where he was rushed to a nearby ho- hospital and pronounced dead so. damn I mean yeah I'm sure he was in a bad way <laughs> why again I, I don't know this, yeah. this person's motivations but man
0: and just why couldn't be me no I mean never couldn't find I mean, never.
1: me in a in a cage with with wild animals
0: no I mean the only animal that I would get in a cage with is like a river otter.
1: Yeah. That'd I think be kind of fun. I'd do a giraffe.
0: A, I don't know,
1: man. Do giraffes stampede?
0: They can. I definitely think they can. Yeah. Oh, that'd be tough. I'm trying to think of the coolest animal. I would love to do penguins, but I don't swim that well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I if anyone's listening to the podcast, I think penguins are just the best ever. I would do penguins, river otter,
1: um, a land animal. Hmm. Maybe like a chicken. <laughs> would you? Would you get into an enclosure with a kangaroo?
0: Oh wow! Who? i I would. I would.
1: Giraffes do stampede, so yeah. I'm out. I'm You're out. out on that I'm one. I'm out for giraffes. Yeah,
0: that's probably a good call. I would <laughs> do a kangaroo. Um, I know they're very territorial though. It so i has have to be very careful.
1: Ryan has a picture of the kangaroo. Oh, really? He was in Australia, yeah.
0: Yeah. One of my favorite movies cool growing up. Guy. Yeah, seriously. One of my favorite movies growing up was Kangaroo Jack. Oh, very nice. With uh, Anthony Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. Great
1: movie. Um, Anthony Anderson and uh, Jerry O'Connell.
0: Yes, that's <laughs> right. I couldn't remember his name. Jerry O'Connell. That's right. Oh, what a movie. Oh, that takes me back takes me back um, so you said giraffe was, but you said no giraffe, giraffe so
1: giraffes do stampede
0: okay so probably not
1: I mean you could all the all of the big animals yeah. that I would want to do would kill me and then it like doesn't make it worth it
0: maybe scale your options sort of like crossfit scale it down
1: <laughs> I think I think the biggest animal I would do is, is a kangaroo okay that's fair Maybe a zebra.
0: A zebra could be interesting.
1: Um, anything bigger than that, though, is... I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of, like, a large... I guess, I guess it doesn't matter, because giraffes are herbivores, and they...
0: Just, like, every animal that, like, is on land that's, like, of a decent size, I feel like, could kill you. Like, most big cats kill you. Mm-hmm.
1: Even like bobcats, oh are, totally aren't that big, totally
0: no, they could still kill you.
1: Like my favorite, my favorite okay. animal is is the elephant. Mm. I like elephants,
0: you could. I mean, elephants. Are, I feel like you could be in an enclosure with them. They are mm. territorial, so you might have to stay back. But people study elephants all the time.
1: I like elephants, yeah. but I don't know. I would not want one.
0: I saw a video of a guy, and I have no idea where it was from, but he was. Um, there was this rhino, and he was um, – he looked hands. at it. So he, w- he was, like, commentating on, like, what to do if, like, you come really close to, like, this certain uh, rhino mm-hmm. in this specific instance. And when he looked at it, it started to move toward him. But when he put his head down and, like, uh, de-threatened himself, uh-huh. it went it's- back. And it didn't even know the difference. I mean, it may have, but it probably didn't know the difference between him and
1: some other animal. Um, So I I just did some quick research. I'm going to go, and my final answer is going to be African elephant. African elephant's max speed is 15 and a half miles an hour. Okay. I don't know how fast I can run. Yeah. But I'm going to say if my life depended on it, you could probably run faster. It could probably, it would probably yeah. be around like 12. Do you know off the top of your head what the difference
0: between an Asian elephant and an African elephant is?
1: I believe, I know African, their ears are shaped differently. It's,
0: uh, yeah, it's what I was going to say. I think it's the ears. I
1: believe African elephants are larger.
0: Okay, okay. I mean, that, that I guess that could make sense. It's crazy that, like, people used to use elephants as, like, weapons of war. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They would just, like... Awesome. Just gather a ton of people and ride in on an elephant. Can you imagine on the other side of an elephant just charging at you? No. With, like, people shooting bow and arrows off the top of
1: it? No. I couldn't imagine getting shot at on, like, top of a horse. Yeah, I mean, like...
0: Tw- uh- Fifty horses stampeding at you?
1: I almost said I wouldn't want to be put in an enclosure because I couldn't outrun one, but this one's running straight at you. It is. <laughs> and, you're, and you're not running away. You're
0: not going anywhere. Huh. Wild. Well, we could, I mean, potentially we could test this theory out. We would just have to climb into an enclosure
1: somewhere. I, I saw, I just read how that turned out. Yeah. Not good. Well, he didn't make it. Yeah, he
0: didn't make it, no.
1: He's not doing it again. I turned 25 this year, and I, I'd like to live longer than, than that. I agree.
0: Probably not on the list. Not on the list. Um, well, sweet. Good articles this week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good articles. Um, so, while we were finding current news articles, I time-traveled back into the 1950s, and... Um, was doing some research on 1950s UFO contactees, okay. Which um, I have listened to stories about, but I've never read a ton of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, there's a whole host of individuals who were part of this like contactee movement in the 1950s. Um, I found one. Or I should say, I found multiple, but I'm just going to talk about one this week. I, I would like to do multiple episodes on different um, individuals because they do have their unique stories and their unique um, encounters, if you will, with different races of aliens, um, which are interesting, nonetheless. Not just your typical grays. Okay. Um, some different ones, which... Uh, Include like Nordic looking aliens, um, Venusians from Venus potentially.
1: Um, I'm a said wh- not a, I'm a said of the what like, what's Venusia? <laughs> uh, Where's <is> Venusia? <laughs> uh. Um, so yeah, anyway, so but
0: for today, um found an article on ufoarchives.blogspot.com and this is talking about um, briefly um, the story of uh, Trevor James Constable who actually just died in 2016 but he um, was originally born in New Zealand and um, he was in the Merchant Marine of New Zealand and Great Britain and for 26 years served in the U.S. Merchant Marine. and um, But he immigrated to the U.S. in 1952, and he became interested in some of the UFO stuff that was going on at the time. So he visited um, a man named George Van Tassel, who we'll, I would like to get into in a later episode, but briefly he had a encounter with... I should say he developed a telepathic relationship with, uh, a Venusian, um, council, and he began to channel vast amounts of information related to time travel and technologies of rejuvenation. Um, so that's just a a little brief. I would like to get him in a later, get into him in a later episode, but we'll continue. So, um constable visits with George Van Tassel who gave him instructions on how to contact space people, but he warned him of some ill effects of doing so. Um, The constable apparently was an adventurous and practical man. He did not heed the cautioning of Van Tassel, and he spent several months trying to open up communications with space people. Um, So he experimented with this. Um, He claims that um he developed extreme sensitivity to telepathic impulses and found that he can barely control situation of telepathy. Uh-huh. And he says, um, in daily life in the aviation industry, I would hear a sentence physically or say, sorry. I would hear a sentence psychically before a client ever spoke the words physically. When the telephone rang, I knew who was calling before I picked up the instrument. A constant struggle soon ensued for control of my physical vehicle, myself against unseen interlopers. My difficulties were extreme, and I felt that I was slowly losing my battle to retain my mastery of myself. I bitterly regretted ever having meddled in UFO communications. The quote-unquote intelligences whose realm I had broken poured confusing rubbish, confusing rubbish into me. And this is from... Um, one of his books called "The Cosmic Pulse of Life." So, <laughs> yeah, it sounds uh, concerning to say the least. To say the least.
1: Um, so. Basically, he experienced powers that. He couldn't control. He couldn't control, and there were mostly mostly about, if not entirely about about the future.
0: Correct. Um. So continuing on, in um, 1956 and 1957, Constable, um, with his friend and co-worker James Woods, made trips into the Mojave Desert in California, um, and they channeled, apparently, as well as infrared photography. Um, the idea to initiate such a photo project was originally presented... Um, by a well-known spaceman in contact in contactee circles, um, named Ashtar. Okay.
1: Um,
0: the first and most essential wrinkle we learned was the use of infrared film, which permits photography of invisible light irradiation, and they supposedly obtained this information from Ashtar, whose suggestion it was, um, before they terminated contact. and that was in his book They Live in the Sky so um, ironically enough the first individual to claim contact with Ashtar and other space people with rather odd sounding names was George Van Tassel Mm -hmm. who he'd originally met with in 1952 or I should say he, he originally met with um not in nineteen fifty two. Um so according to Van Tassel these messages were not received with ordinary telepathy, but they're relayed via an instrument referred to as an adiphone. What's that? What what's an adiphone? Yes. I, I, I will I will try and get to that. It's it's sort of unclear. Um, at least from, from what I have read. The information delivered to Van Tassel is of a mixed quality. Um but he also had physical contacts with space people and in my view which is the person writing the article um was part of a psychological sociological test made by a group of benevolent alien visitors um so the adiphone instrument mentioned by van tassel was also used in transmissions to constable um and this is, um, this is from a letter that he wrote, that Constable wrote. One of the most fascinating experiences occurs when the transmission is transferred from one space base to another. The beam can be felt to switch off and then on again as the new entity appears. On one occasion, Ashtar brought his wife to this thought microphone, quote-unquote. The Adiphone and her... And uh, they... <laughs> Chit-chatted. So, um, as I previously expressed, it's sort of unclear as to what this Uh device is.
1: Um, I mean, a a thought microphone kind of sounds like it takes, again, your thoughts and kind of puts them out of... Projects them. Right. Takes them from your brain and puts them out into the world. It's kind of what I'm
0: thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So, I will end with a conversation... Um, that Constable supposedly had with Ashtar. Um. So this article says uh, the messages received by Constable are interesting and generally in accordance with the esoteric tradition and the teachings of the inner circle, channeled by deep transmedian medium Mark Probert. Um, who I'm not familiar with mm-hmm. Ashtar refer refers to his home planet. As the etheric Venus. So, etheric meaning like, not of the physical world. Oh. I'm assuming. Okay.
1: Is that what etheric? That's
0: that's the context that I've... Picked up. ...heard etheric in, yeah. Yeah. So, um... Question... From your statement that you are etheric, I am to presume that you have evolved beyond your stage of a physical and astral body. And Ashtar responds, correct. I do not possess a physical casing of the dense type, such as yours. I am definitely etheric, as are all people on other planets in this solar system. Question number two. When you become visible to our eyes, does the person who sees (coughs) you know that you are a quote-unquote converted etheric. Ashtar responds, not as a rule. The conversion can be made so completely that a physical person encountering us thinks that we too are physical.
1: They live among us.
0: They They live among us. Exactly. Question number three. When you speak of making etheric matter visible at will, is this question the way that George Adamski was permitted to take His in his now famous photographs, Mr. George Adamski is another um, famous UFO uh, contactee of the 50s. Ashtar, yes, ether ships, as they have been called on your surface, have been made visible to and for certain individuals selected upon your surface to whom Adamski is one. Normally, the ships are part of the invisible world. So, last question. Why has the information you have given me been passed through me? That is, why have I been used as a channel for it? Ashtar responds, This information is well known in occult circles upon your planet, and has been known for many thousands of years by those you term initiates and adepts. So I feel like the responses were sort of cryptic. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like they explain and this is from um This is from one of the books that he read. That, he, that he's wrote that um, Constable has written so mm-hmm. I'm sure there's more more detail in the book so I'm, but sure, it's, I'm non- sure it's more thorough yes nonetheless I think it is interesting that um, the idea of these like photographing invisible
1: Things. ships uh-huh. yeah um, yeah I don't know how much I believe of it, but it's... It, it's an interesting idea. It's an interesting
0: idea and entertaining, nonetheless. But... Um, it's crazy. There's a whole, like... I mean, there have been tons of books written about... Was there? I've, the whole, like... So the 1950s UFO movement is, like, super unique because... That was my question. Yeah, because it is, like, the... It's, like, the first like wave of UFO encounters like after World War Two. oh wow. it's like the first mass scale um like UFO and like people like mm, like phenomena yeah f- phenomena really yeah and um, multiple individuals claimed that they had like been taken upon um flying saucers um like I said met like long hair, long blonde haired, blue eyed, Mm -hmm. space brothers is another term that is interesting and it starts, it like, the space brothers as if they're like, here to help us. Uh And like, there are brothers alongside us. I speak for the trees. (laughs) Yeah, so, um, I would like to, uh, kind of do. The space brothers. The space brothers, yeah. I would, I would I think I'm gonna try and do like a different a different story each week about um, different encounters. Uh-huh. Like I mentioned in this in the in that write up, there's a man, George Damsky, who's fairly famous.
1: Um, well, I looked at I looked at Van Tassel real yeah. quick. I did some quick reading and like there's some stuff about him. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of stuff. So
0: he like moved to. Um, what does he say? Giant rock, which is out in the desert somewhere uh-huh. with his wife and three daughters and started like just channeling. Um. So anyway, yeah, very he, interesting.
1: He set up his own little, uh, yeah, little space station, his own little thing out there out in the desert, out in the desert. Um, and I
0: guess there's still something out there.
1: Yeah, there is. So it's called, uh, um, in, in, in.
0: The integratron, the integratron. There it is.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I briefly. He claimed that it was a uh, anti gravity, uh, and that he could time travel.
0: Oh,
1: oh. So more to come. Wow, more to
0: come. I think we're gonna do Van Tassel next week. Okay. Yeah, Vantassel next week. Um, yeah, that's all I got. That's all I got. Good deal. Um. I am, if you haven't listened to the podcast recently, I am co-hosting another podcast called Parareality Radio. Um, you can find Parareality on Stitcher and um, you can go to the website as well, parareality.com. That is P-A-R-A, reality.com and find me there. But when I'm not there, I'm there every month, once every month. When I'm not there, I'm here with my best friend Kyle on The World We Live In. And you can find us at um, Twitter at WorldWeLivePod. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts um, and anywhere you can find podcasts, um, really, um, on Podbean. And email us at podcast at gmail.com questions concerns rate and review on iTunes and uh, I think that's it
1: I've got a a question for you go ahead what happens if you look at the sun through a magnifying glass oh gosh would it be any worse than just looking at the sun (laughs) would it be any better
0: I assume it would be worse you think so? Right? You wouldn't be able to keep your eyes open.
1: Have you ever stared at the sun?
0: <laughs> yeah, I have. And I, it's not fun. <laughs> it's not fun at all.
1: I think for it to, for there to be any difference, mm-hmm. I think, like, just because the sun's so big, yeah. I think you would need just a very, like, specific... I think you need a very big magnifying glass. Yeah.
0: No, I totally, totally agree. Totally agree. That I wouldn't recommend
1: yeah don't try that don't try that don't do that
0: don't do that that
1: was was just a that was just a question
0: (laughs) if you think about doing that don't do that but (laughs) what you should do is go listen to The World We Live In (laughs) or Pure Reality Uh, yeah stay warm stay warm if you live in cold climate if you live in warm climate I'm jealous Um, as much as I complain about the cold or the southern hemisphere right now yeah this is true if you live on the southern hemisphere um, that's awesome stay warm my friend Ryan was in, um, was in Australia for two weeks. Came back to Minneapolis, negative five.
1: <laughs> Sheesh.
0: Yeah. Smacked you real hard. Um, well, again, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time.